Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Final Siren by Pastor Sean Wood. Brother, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're always speaking and I pray today that ears would be open and hearts would be open to hear from you. Lord God, we truly do desire to place you in the highest place. This morning, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just simply use me as a mouthpiece this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like to meet me in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, some here, uh, uh, if you're new here, you may not be aware, but some here may be aware that uh, when I was in Tasmania, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, but he began with Tasmania. When I was in Tasmania, I used to play country football. I used to love playing AFL. And uh, for about two or three years, I played for a certain team, and myself and the coach, after a game, decided that it was best we never stood in each other's presence again for some time. I had some friends that played for another another, uh, club, and fortunately for me, that club hadn't won a game all year. That was, my, that was my mojo, by the way. If you ever want to kick in football, find a club that hasn't had a, won a game all year, you're likely to get a run. So uh, I decided after that conversation uh, that I would move football clubs. I had a couple of friends that were playing for the Perth Football Club, so I moved and played for them. And uh, I, I kind of had a brain meltdown because I just made all these decisions without looking at the roster. <laughs> Uh, but when I did look at the roster, I realised that the first game I was playing for the new club was against my old club. It, so uh, we were in for a, a great day. But uh, Perth, the team I played for, hadn't won a game. The, the team that I had left had kind of 50-50. They, they won some, they lost some. Uh, and it's interesting uh, how you kind of move your way through a game. First quarter was how you would expect it to be. Uh, everybody on the field wanted a piece of me, so that kind of kept us in the game because everybody's orientation was on me and not the ball. And So that kind of kept us in the game. Second quarter, we were doing okay. Went in for the halftime huddle, and, and the coach had some reasonably brash things to say. But by the time we got to three-quarter time, we've made some jostlings on the field. We've changed positions a little bit. By the time we got to three-quarter time, there was a different demeanour in the three-quarter time huddle because there was only two points in it. This was something new for the Perth team. They were usually like, there's 200 points in it. You know, it's kind of like... The greatest place to play for the Perth Football Club was down the back line. You were guaranteed to get the action down there. But uh, aside from that, we were were like two points in it and uh, I'd been belted black and blue uh, for three quarters and all I wanted to do was to, to kind of beat these guys on the scoreboard. I kind of knew uh, what the coach was going to do. I kind of knew they were going to put a guy on me. But it's interesting how walking out of the three-quarter time huddle into the last quarter was different. Why? Because, you know, in the first quarter, any mistakes you've made, you've kind of got three quarters to make up for. At halftime, you need to kind of address things, shuffle things around. You've still got a little bit of time up your sleeve. But when we walked out after the three-quarter time huddle, we knew that the final siren was going to blow... And then it was game over. There's no more huddles after the siren blows. There's no more position changes after the siren blows. 
It's interesting how it changed the perspective of every single player. It changed the way we played. Uh, I remember uh, halfway through the quarter, I went up for a mark, came down, landed sideways on my ankle, uh, had to get help to get off the field. Uh, somebody gave me some kind of magic spray and said, you'll be right, bruv, shoved me back on the field. But it's interesting how in the, you know, if I'd have done that in the first quarter, I'd have said, strap me up, put some ice on me, put me on the bench, crack the stubbies, game over for me, I'll watch from the sidelines. But in the last quarter, I didn't care. Everything changed. It changed the way we played. And today, I firmly believe that the church is in the last quarter. Uh, I firmly believe that we are approaching the final siren. And therefore, it should change the state of play. It should change our priorities. I mean, at the Perth Football Club, man, when we were two points in it, uh, I, I kicked two goals from outside of 50. Nobody knew my name before the game. Everybody knew my name after the game. It was one of those kinds of games. Uh, everybody from the Perth Football Club got out of their cars. It was one of those kinds of last quarters. And uh, I didn't play for another couple of weeks because I built it up. But uh, at the end of the day, once the final siren blew, uh, we then took account. And... Today, I don't want to delve into the book of Revelations because uh, we can fight about the middle part later. But let's talk about the beginning part of the Revelations and let's talk about the end part. There is two very important parts of the book of Revelation that I think the church of Jesus Christ misses. It's the first line and it's the last chapter. The first line says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or, if you read the old King James, it will say this is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That word apocalypse does not mean a battle that's going to happen somewhere over in the Middle East towards the end of time. That's not what that word means. The word apocalypse in the Greek means to reveal or unveil. It's, it's kind of like somebody pulling the curtain back. What John is saying to us right before we go any further in the book of Revelations, he says this is unveiling who Jesus really is. He's not this blonde-haired, blue-eyed kind of hair blowing in the wind. He comes with a sword. In fact, when John heard a voice behind him, he says, I turned to see what, who was speaking to me. He says, I fell down like a dead man. From that point on, John uses words like. His, his eyes were like. Then we've missed the last part. I remember when uh, I was asked to state my theological position before I was credentialed as a, as a minister. Uh, the last one was, give us your theological position on end times. And I wrote one very simple sentence. Jesus Christ will return. You can fight about the, we can fight about whether we're dispensationalists, whether the rapture's come, gone, been, whether we're in the thousand-year reign or whether we're not. We can fight about that later. But right now... The church has missed the point of the book of Revelations. And the book of Revelations is this. Not only are we unveiling the glorious beauty of this wonderful saviour, Jesus, we are also very closely seeing how closely the spiritual world is linked with the physical world. And that the final siren is going to blow. There is going to come a time when Jesus will part the clouds. The siren will blow and Jesus says, I, I come with my recompense in my hand, or I come with my reward, or we're going to review how it is that you've played your game. 
make no mistakes. It's not just the book of Revelation. There are many parts of the New Testament where Paul makes it abundantly clear that every single person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat was an athletic term, viewing how people had conducted themselves according to the rules and how they had in an athletic atmosphere. The judgment seat is where we will stand before Christ and give an account. So what kind of life should we be living? If the siren's going to blow and there's a kind of state of play, what is the state of play for us as the church? What is it that will resoundingly impact earth with the power of heaven? I'm glad you asked all of those questions. If you've got your Bibles and you've met me in Hebrews chapter 11, I want two words to be the prominent two words this morning, and they are by faith. Before we go any further, we need to grab hold of the two words by faith. If you read the account of Hebrews 11 and everybody in there, you will understand that there is something very important that the author wants us to know. Everything that happened, all the heroes that impacted the natural world with the supernatural world did so by faith. Please meet me in, uh, we'll start at verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him, that's God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7. By faith, Noah. We'll get to Noah in a moment, but let's, let's touch on this by faith thing for a moment. What is faith? How do we define faith? Many people have actually tried to use words to define faith. But faith is like love. It's best defined by its actions. Now, uh, is Brother Mark Patch in the room? No, he's left. I was going to give him a chance to redeem himself, but that's okay. Uh, let, me, let me explain for you. If, if I said to Richard Curtin, and I deliberately use the last name because we've got a few Richards here, but if I said to Richard Curtin, describe love for me, because Richard would say, you know, I am just so deeply in love with Charlotte. And I would say, describe love for me, Richard. <laughs> Giving you a chance to kind of shout out any time you like, bruv. I'd say, describe, he'd say, you know what, uh, I... I I find it hard to describe love, Pastor, but you know what? I just think about it all of the time. Uh, It doesn't matter what I'm doing during the day. It doesn't matter where I am. She encapsulates all of my thoughts. Everybody goes, ah. And he'd say, you know what? It doesn't matter who I'm talking to. She's so important to me. This love thing has got such a hold on my heart that the the only way I can define it is that I just talk about it all the time in a nice tense. (laughs) And of course, after many years of marriage, I would ask him to define love and he would say, there's this pain in my ears. No, it's not. (laughs) 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 No, that's only just a select few. There's a... We need to get a back door installed, by the way, um, (laughs) just for future reference. And so what the writer to the Hebrews has done is he says, you know what, I want to define faith for you. And the only way I can define faith is to show you how it works out in people's life. He, He kind of takes a stab at it in the first three verses of chapter 11, but there's kind of 
the best way to understand how faith comes to each one of us, there's kind of three processes I like to break it down in because it's very important that we begin to live by faith. The reason for that is, uh, and more about this tonight, by the way, if you're able to join us tonight, but the reason for that is there's kind of two uh, islands. There's the island of the natural and there's also the island of the supernatural. And the record of Scripture particularly Hebrews 11, gives us an account of men and women who stepped from the natural into the supernatural and deeply impacted the natural with the supernatural. And if you're sitting here this morning going, I want to be the kind of person that not only visits the supernatural but kind of, kind of inhabits that place, then there's a bridge. And the bridge between the natural and the supernatural is faith. There are people recorded in the Gospels who crossed that bridge and were deeply impacted by the person Jesus Christ. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. But faith begins kind of with understanding. It's kind of an awakening. The best way, it's kind of we receive information to begin with. Uh, uh, Awakening happens to all of us. And it kind of happens to us differently. Uh, Let me give you an example from my household. In the morning, uh, we all awaken in the morning differently, by the way. I've noticed this. But in the morning, uh, my alarm goes off at some um, unholy hour. And the moment that it does, I turn my alarm off and I get out of bed. We're We're talking inside of 60 seconds. I've awakened, I'm up, and I'm mobile. My wife, however... Here's the alarm go off, lays in bed and then by the time I get ready I turn the light on and some period of time later my wife will make her way out of bed. She awakens the same as what I do but just in a different way. Faith happens the same for us as well. There are, some of us have alarm clock moments in our lives where we, where we just get it and others we slowly awaken, we get an understanding of scripture. But then there's a second step. Second step is conviction. That's where all the information in our head goes to our heart. And it begins to form convictions in our lives. Let me give you an example. Well, myself and my, well, mainly me, but myself and my family are about to go on holidays. But even if we're on holidays, wherever we are, we will find ourselves in a church somewhere because we have a conviction to gather together with God's people and worship God on a Sunday. It drives our lives. Convictions drive our lives. But then there's a really important part. So we have understanding, we have conviction, and then we have the last part, which is commitment. This is where we see your faith. This is where faith begins to operate in your life. And I would make the claim this morning that very few Christians' faith reaches the level of commitment. And if it does, it's for brief periods of time. But it is where faith reaches the commitment level that we begin to deeply impact the world around us. Commitment faith brings heaven to bear on earth. But by faith, Noah. Now, I'm not going to dwell too much on Noah this morning. Uh, We're going to kind of take bits and pieces of his story. But uh, most of us know the story of Noah and Sunday school is kind of dulled the whole thing down with the whole rainbow thing and it's all a pretty story. But it was a pretty horrible time for those that weren't in the ark. But Noah is the account of a man that found intimacy with God amidst a sinful, wicked and depraved generation. 
The testimony of the generation that Noah lived in sounded like this. Uh, The thoughts and the intentions of their heart were evil always. Imagine a generation that was so sinful that God says, I am grieved that I ever made man in the first place. It grieves my heart that I've made man. And God determines that there will be a final siren. God determines that something will happen, that judgment will come. Noah is the account of a man that chooses God when everybody else is choosing their own way. Let me kind of explain for you what I mean. When I was a teenager at the Salvation Army, I can remember uh, my lovely foster mother got Ozstar. We can remember when Ozstar first came out, yeah? And much to our delight, uh, one of the channels had WWF wrestling on it. Anybody remember that? You know, the days of Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker. You remember The Undertaker? Used to have that hair like it from the Adams family and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we used to, the problem was, WWF wrestling was on on a Sunday. And it was like, okay, um, uh, we love you, Don, but we're going to go. You know, because we need lunch and we need to watch the wrestling. So, uh, my world fell apart when I realised that what happens in the ring is not real. I'm sorry for the half of the church that just went, what? (laughs) Richard's like, Charlotte, hold me. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) And all too often... As the people of God, just like I did with wrestling, we make the mistake. You see, wrestling, while they're in the ring, they're they're kind of free to do their own moves. You remember the moves like the pole driver and the flying elbow and the screwdriver and the undertaker had the tombstone, but it really just looked like a pole driver the other way around. You know, all these fancy names for all these moves. But at the end of the day, these guys, before they even stepped into the ring, the script was written and the decisions were already made. And here I was thinking that the actual reality was what I saw in the ring when the actual reality was some guy behind the scenes writing the script. We make the mistake and commitment faith looks like an assurance that what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears, what we can touch is not actually the real world. Stay with me for a moment. The reality lies in the spiritual world. And those who live by faith live with the assurance that everything that happens here in the physical world, read the book of Revelations. Read how closely things are linked. Read how a decree is passed in heaven and then something happens on earth. The real world is the spiritual world. And Hebrews 11 is the list of men and women who live their life under the reality of the real world. And it had a vast effect on this natural world. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, Noah is given the word of God and Noah responds to the word of God. Just the same as we have, Jesus says that he's coming soon. We all know that the final siren will blow, that there will be a time. We can't step sideways from the fact. uh, Biblical truth says 
that there will be a time when everybody will stand before God and give an account. Some will go to eternal separation and some will spend eternity in the presence of God. That day comes. And there's enormously good news for us today, please hold, just as there was for them this day, in this day. All too often, we live our lives believing that we can have one hand firmly on hold of God and another hand firmly on the world. And we think that we can coexist with a firm grip and I'll have as much of the world that I want whenever I want, but I'll have as much of God whenever I want. And I want to tell you today, God will not have that. God does not share his throne. The record of lives lived by faith is the record of people that let go of the world and grabbed hold of God with both hands and said, God, there's no turning back for me now. I can't go back. They all think I'm crazy. They thought that before, right? And grabbing hold of God with both hands says, I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care which way the world's going. I'm going your way, God. And for Noah, that looked like I'm going to build an ark for 120 years Here's how to know if you've heard the voice of God. This is a digression, by the way. If God comes to you and says something that makes perfect sense and all the steps are unfolded before you, please question what you've just heard. If God comes and says something enormously outlandish to you that doesn't make sense, you got it. Because what God says to Noah is, God says to Noah, go and build an ark because it's going to rain. And Noah probably thought within himself, What on earth are you talking about? Because here I am, I live at least 100 miles from the coast. And it's never rained on planet Earth yet. Everything was naturally watered from the spring. Sounds preposterous? What are you doing, God? But what we don't have is a record of a man that asks questions. We have the record of a man that says, I will build an ark. He starts cutting wood. What is the posture of life that we should all have? moving forward. Let's, let's read on. There's a very interesting part in this verse 6 that I want to highlight. Verse 7, sorry. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear. Some translations have moved with fear. I want to ask you today, what moves you? What motivates you? What gets you going? And has anybody ever else ever asked the question, what is this fear of God anyway? What does it mean? It's pretty important that we grab hold of what this means because the psalmist says that friendship with God is reserved for those who fear him. Anybody, anybody here want to be a friend with God? Yeah. When I read that, I thought, yeah, I want to be your friend. And there's one classic example in Leviticus chapter 10. Yeah, it's probably the only exciting part in Leviticus. I get that. But in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, what we see is the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, have just been given all the ordinances for worship. God has handed down, this is how we do worship, this is how the ceremonies take place, this is what you are supposed to do, the clothes you're supposed to wear and all that sort of stuff. Then we get to chapter 10 and Nadab and Abihu decide to be a little bit Tasmanian. They decide to go a little bit their own way. What the Bible says is they actually lit strange fire. 
Fire comes out and consumes them, and Moses is angry with God. God says something very profound to Moses. He says, for those who will be near me, I must be feared or I must be reverenced. What does that mean for us? Let me give you an example. I have a prop here this morning. He doesn't have a name, but I have a teddy bear here, okay? And this teddy bear uh, is lifeless, soft. I'm going to hold it by the leg and swing it around. And Levi, I know you can't catch, but we'll give it a go, right? I just throw the teddy bear over there. And you know what? I have completely and utterly zero reverence for that teddy bear, probably because it's dressed up in Christmas clothes. But if I was holding a baby just then, there is no way that I would swing a baby by the leg. I know when you come out, doctors hang you upside down and smack you on the bum, but they kind of stop that after all. No, they don't. (laughs) But I wouldn't swing a baby by the leg like that. And if I wanted to pass a baby to Levi, I wouldn't just throw it across the room. No, no, no. If I had hold of a baby, I would hold it like this. And... And if I was going to pass a baby, I would pass it very softly and very gently to someone. And my whole demeanour, my whole posture, and all of my actions just completely changed for one reason. That baby is far more precious than that ridiculous looking teddy bear. And everything Noah did was motivated by the fact that God was precious. I want to ask you today, we sang that song. Isn't it easy to sing these songs? The words just fall off your tongue. God, we place you in the highest place. I wonder what would happen if we did. I wonder what would happen if God became the most precious thing to every single one of us. Because that's what living our lives in reverent fear looks like. God, you're so precious to me. You see, uh, fear of retribution, if, if you are motivated by, by, let's say, you're motivated by a, a fear of, of punishment, if you're motivated because you want to, if you are only doing anything to get something from God, you've just entered, congratulations, you've just entered the world of legalistic religion. But if you are motivated and everything you do is because God is precious to you and you love him, just like Richard loves Charlotte. All of a sudden, you now say, everything I do is because I love you. And you've just entered the world of a loving relationship with the creator of the universe. The Bible is not a book of religion. If, you, if you've come here this morning looking for religion, I apologize, we don't have any religion here for you. Because the Bible is all about the most loving relationship in the whole universe. And you are more than that kind of precious to God. But what does Noah do? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear or moved with reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of of his household. We don't hear anything about his household. We don't hear anything about their faith. 
But the faith of Noah saved others. Second Peter, uh, I'm a huge fan of Peter the Apostle, by the way. Uh, Peter the Apostle is a great encouragement to me because he proves that you can be enormously uneducated and as thick as two bricks, but still absolutely turn the world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's an enormous encouragement to me. He writes two epistles. The first one is deeply profound. Uh, The second one, he actually alludes to Noah in both of them. But the second one, he says that Noah was a herald of righteousness. What Peter is saying is the life that Noah lived was preaching a message to everybody else around him. Wow. Now, we're absolutely called to, to preach the gospel with our words. But you are called to be a herald of righteousness by the life that you live. I shared a quote by Leonard Ravenhill this week. Leonard Ravenhill, by the way, great preacher, by the way, very close associate of A.W. Tozer, so he must be okay. But Leonard Ravenhill says the world is not looking for another definition of Christianity. The world is seeking a demonstration. Where God is so precious to you, it affects every part of your life. He then goes on and says, In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. How did he do that? What Noah does is he draws a line in the sand and he says, All of those that are for God are over here. And everybody else is over here. He condemned the world because he put them over here by living a life of righteousness. We live in a secular society today that thinks you can have a grey area. We live in a secular society today that sounds a little bit like this. Yes, I believe in God. I've had conversations like this. You you walk down the street now, pull up 100 people if you like, and you will find that over 90 of them will say, I believe in God. Continue the conversation and see what happens when you mention the name Jesus. Now we've got a problem. Because while we just believe in a God and he's a million miles away and he's not personally involved in the planet Earth, everything's okay. But when we mention the name Jesus, Jesus brings the power of heaven right down here to bear on Earth. And the moment we mention Jesus, it becomes personal. I can't ignore this God anymore because this God stepped into my world. There's no grey area, but we, like to, we have a secular society that likes to say, you know what, I pay my taxes, I'm a good person, so therefore, you know what, we all go to heaven. Not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Wow. The writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who he was, by the way, or maybe even she, we don't know who this person was that wrote Hebrews. Can't be Paul, because the dates don't line up. But we know, reading that, they are using New Testament language. We always think that righteousness, faith and grace are New Testament words. 
Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Noah found favour in the eyes of God. It has been by grace right from the get-go. It's always A relationship with God has always been about faith. That's never changed. Even with Abraham. Paul makes that point through the book of Romans. Has anybody here uh, ever seen those deeply theological movies, the Predator movies? Now, my wife's chuckling because every time she goes to Tasmania on her own, my boys beg me, Dad, Mum's not here, can we please watch Predator now? (laughs) The answer's still no because you keep telling her everything. But... In those movies, it's, it's interesting. Uh, most of us know some of the one-liners that come from that movie. I mean, Lee Matthews, uh, the, one of the greatest coaches in, in AFL history, uh, Lee Matthews, used one of the lines, if it's got blood, we can kill it, when uh, Brisbane was taking on Essendon. But uh, the story of Predator is basically soldiers that find themselves in the jungle but are overcome by a force that they can't control. And when everything's reached desperate mode, we all know that line where Arnie's laying down and in his stupid accent says, get to the chopper. You know, it's like, we've got no hope unless we can make it to the chopper. Our lives and our message should be to every single person in this world, get to the ark. You see, many thousands of years ago, when God was about to judge the world, he provided an ark. And he said to Noah, he said, you know what, Noah? He said, if, if you and your family come into the ark, I, I tell you, I, I'm going to let the springs burst forth. It's going to rain. There's going to be a flood. I'm going to wipe out all of creation. But I, I'm going to lock you in here and you're going to be safe. And there's some amazing phrases in Genesis. Those that are flowing their way through rock reflections may hit some of these phrases. But phrases like, God said to Noah, come into the ark. Go is a direction, come is an invitation. God was already in there. And then when everything's about to break loose, even though Noah had used all this pitch and tar and whatever else, it says that God shut him in. And then it rained. Fast forward to just 2,000 years ago. A man stepped into our world by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth declared that there is a day coming. There is a time when the final siren will blow. He says, and the sheep will go one way, the goats will go another way. Jesus wasn't accidental in his words. He made it clear what that would look like. But yet again... Although there will be a flood of God's wrath that comes upon the earth. Now, I'm not talking water. I know God said he'll never do it again. I I get all of that. But there is going to be a deluge of God's wrath that is going to come upon every single person who is outside of that ark. And that ark is the person of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, friends, if you step inside Jesus today, you are the safest you will be. If you step inside that ark... I am not guaranteeing you a life of rosy, sweet pillar. That's not the life I'm promising you at all. Jesus never promised anybody that life. But I promise you that if you step inside that ark, 
because he's already in there, you're going to meet the greatest person in all of the universe. And you're going to step into the ark and you're going to realise for the first time in your life, I am loved by the very person who spoke the universe into existence. And he loved me so much that he stepped into my muck and mire to pull me out of it. Now, as I said when I began, you can do what you like with the book of Revelations. There is only one way to interpret the book of Revelations. You can, you, we'll fight about all of that later. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about events that would soon take place. And he gives a picture and he gives a snapshot to the disciples of the generation that they were living in. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah... So shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage right up until the day Noah entered the ark. We live in a society today that's going about their life oblivious to the reality, the condemnation that they stand under and the fact that God has provided an ark. And in the days of Noah, he's calling us to live our lives by faith and to impact this world here today with the reality of God's world. Paul put it like this. He says, you guys, you're ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador in those days was the same as it is today. An ambassador goes into a foreign country and they don't allow that foreign country to change them. They don't change who they are. They don't change their culture. In fact, what, they, what the ambassador does in an overarching sense is an ambassador enter, enters into a foreign country and first thing he says is, this is not my home. <laughs> if you're inside of Christ today, this is not your home. You're heading for home. Peter says, we're exiles, we're sojourners, we're just, we're just passing through. But an ambassador says, uh, this is not my home but I am here to represent the interests of the one who sent me. I'm here to uphold the interests of the place where I come from. And we are here to uphold the interests of the real world by faith. Before we pray, uh, throughout September, we have been speaking about reaching out, and we've been speaking about what that looks like and the call that is upon the church to reach out. And I want to encourage everybody that's here today. Uh, Stu Miller's not here, but his wonderful family's here. Um, I want to encourage everybody. We have a God-gifted evangelist in our congregation. Stu is very passionate about equipping people to reach the lost with practical tools and how you can share your faith and how you can go about reaching the lost. And I would encourage you to embrace all of the Train to Proclaim. If you need any more information, speak to Maria, speak to Stu. Because faith has feet. Noah didn't have a talk with God and go, that's a great idea, God, let's build a boat and then sit back sipping margaritas. It says he constructed an ark. And salvation, we have learnt from the book of Jonah, is an absolute work of God. But God has given us 
two ways as the people of God. God has given us two ways by which we participate in that process. It's called prayer and proclamation. God has called us to proclaim the gospel and God has called us to pray for those who are unsaved. Moving forward, uh, and a little bit more probably about this tonight, moving forward, uh, we are going to open up the space and hopefully have more input from Stu uh, into um, what it is that we do. So there's going to be some Zoom meetings and stuff that we're setting up, but if you need more information, grab hold of Stu because it is time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to put our feet and to give feet to our faith. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have built an ark because we all deserve to be swallowed up in the flood that will come. Lord, I pray today that for every single one of us here, that the looming final siren will compel us to live our lives differently. Lord, that you would compel us to live our lives in reverent fear. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Teach us how to make you the most precious thing in our lives. Teach us to place you in the highest place in our lives. We are thankful for Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would use our lives to preach righteousness as well as our lips in a generation that has walked away from you. Lord, we ask these things in your wonderful and glorious name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.